Are we allowing the life of Christ to flow through us? That's the central question at all times for all Christians. Shortly after the armistice of World War I, Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse visited the battlefields of Belgium. It was a lovely spring day. The sun was shining and not a breath of wind was blowing. As Dr. Barnhouse walked along, he noticed that leaves were falling from the great trees arched along the road. He brushed a leaf that had fallen to his chest, and as he pressed it in his fingers, it disintegrated. He looked up curiously and saw several other leaves falling from the trees. Remember, it was spring, not autumn. Those leaves had outlived the winds of autumn and the frosts of winter. They were falling that day seemingly without cause. Then Dr. Barnhouse realized why. The most potent force of all was causing them to fall. It was spring. The sap was beginning to run and the buds were beginning to push from within. From down beneath the dark earth, in the dark earth, roots were sending life along the trunk, branch, and twig until that life expelled every bit of deadness remaining from the previous year. It was, as the great Scottish preacher termed it, the expulsive power of a new affection. The expulsive power of a new affection. Today we are celebrating with the church around the world the Feast of the Ascension of our Lord back into heaven. And as I told the Thursday crowd, we are essentially ending a part of the church year today. In the old days, before some liturgical revisions, this was the day that we celebrated Christ as King, as opposed to the days um, right before Advent. And unfortunately, in the church calendar, ascension gets lost. It gets lost because it immediately precedes Pentecost next week. But it's the end of the Easter season. That's why we said at the beginning of the service that great Easter acclamation one last time. Alleluia, the Lord is risen. He's risen indeed. And here we come to the end of that period, the end of Christ's earthly reign. And from here on out, Jesus tells his disciples to pray for the Holy Spirit because we enter into the time of the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. From here all the way to Advent in the liturgical year, we'll be talking about God's outworking of his will here through us, through his Holy Spirit. And so as we enter into that event, we have to look at three things. Number one, we look, need to look at the event itself. What is the ascension? Because as I said, it gets lost, doesn't it? And maybe there's a reason for that beyond the way the feasts fall, beyond the way that we get caught up in the liturgical year. Could it be that the ascension just seems too good to be true to us? The idea of Jesus Christ bodily ascending up into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Lord? Could it be that we struggle to believe that? There have been those that have struggled to believe that. 
um, liberal theologian Rudolf Bultmann famously wrote that no one who's old enough to think for himself supposes that God lives in a local heaven. And if this is so, the story of Christ's ascension into heaven is done with. That's so far from the truth. Because that's not what the scriptures tell us. It's not in some weird spiritual way that Jesus went to be with the Lord, but that he physically ascended into heaven, scars and all. And we look here in today's readings, we see an account from Acts chapter 1 of that thing happening. We also see in Luke chapter 24, the end of Luke's gospel, the very same event recorded. As we look, we see that St. Luke who is a learned man, a doctor, a medical doctor, as well as an apostle, gives us not one, but two accounts of the ascension. And it's verified in John's gospel where Jesus himself tells his mother that he's going to ascend into heaven. You might have missed it because it's in the midst of the Easter story, but in John 17, Jesus tells his mother, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So friends, first and foremost, we can be assured that the ascension is a historical fact. It's an event that Scripture records and that multiple people witnessed. Second of all, What's the reason for the ascension? What's the theological meaning behind it? Why did Jesus ascend bodily? Well, Jesus does leave, why does Jesus leave the disciples and the church? I think we have to ask that question too, because it seems an odd thing, so much that his own disciples are taken aback. And if you have your Bibles with you, open with me to Acts chapter one, and we'll look at the passage together. Acts chapter 1. If you don't have your own Bible, there's a pew Bible probably somewhere near you. Chapter 1, verse 6. Look what the disciples asked Jesus. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And of course, that's how the book of Acts begins, with Jesus giving that promise in those words. The kingdom of God, friends, has commenced but has not been consummated yet. What do I mean by that? The kingdom of God has started because God left his throne above and came here to live with us, to teach us, to die for us, to suffer for us, and to be raised again for us. But he's also ascended for us. And we live in this period of in-between, as it were. Because the kingdom of God is a true reality in you and me insofar that the Holy Spirit's in us, but it's not the reality of this world. And we see that every day, don't we? We see how far the kingdom of this world falls from the kingdom of God. We see the disparity between 
the way that God would have things be as Jesus describes and the way that we would have things be as we think ought to be right. But Jesus doesn't set up shop there in Bethany or Jerusalem, which is a curious thing. Instead, he returns to his father's throne and his right hand. Wouldn't it be better if Jesus had just stayed here? Did you ever think about that? Wouldn't it be better if Jesus had just stayed here? Well, Jesus doesn't think so. But I think, if I'm honest, I'm tempted to think so once in a while. Particularly when I see people saying what the Holy Spirit is doing, right? And using that to give them carte blanche to do whatever they want to do that's against God's word and against God's will. Wouldn't it be easy if you could just, easier if you could just go to Bethany and say, hey Jesus, I've got this problem, knock on the door and see what he says. Well, Jesus ascends for a reason. He thinks that it's better that he goes up to sit at the right hand of the Father. And why? Why? Well, Jesus actually tells us himself. I know we're flipping a little this morning, but flip with me to John chapter 17 to the gospel reading. It's right at the beginning of the 17th chapter is where we started the gospel reading. But look with me at verses 6 through 8. What does Jesus say? Jesus is praying here, and he's praying before he's crucified. And what does he pray? He says, he's addressing his father, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the word that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know the truth, that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Why does Jesus ascend? Because he's accomplished his mission. He's done. He's done what he's had to do as the second person of the Trinity. And so he ascends to sit glorified at the right hand of God because it's mission accomplished at this point. And what was that mission? Well, it was to manifest the Father. Did you catch that? It was to manifest the Father, to show people who God the Father is and to show people that He's the Son of God, that He is the Word of God, that He holds eternal life and Him alone. Only through Jesus Christ is eternal life had. And His main job is to teach that, but then, of course, on the cross, to do that on our behalf to manifest God's name, Jesus tells us. You know, that word manifest is a very interesting word in the Greek. It's actually hematherasa. Yeah, say that three times fast. But it means to manifest or make visible or known what has been hidden or unknown by words, by deeds, by any way possible, to make known that which was unknown, to manifest. And so Jesus' job is to show who God is to the people, 
You know, so many people scratch their heads and say, if only I could know who God is, what he's like. It's been given to us, friends, in his word. Jesus Christ is the image of the Father. He is the same substance of the Father. He shows us God the Father. He shows us his priorities, his kingdom, his values. And notice, who then is given that word according to Jesus? He says those given out of the world are given that word. Those given out of the world are given that word. Why does that have to be so? Because this world doesn't know Jesus. This world doesn't know Jesus. The kingdom of this world is opposite to the kingdom of God. It's topsy-turvy. It's the wrong way around. And what knowledge is the truth that Jesus tells, that Jesus prays that his followers might have? Well, we see that back in verse 3 of John's gospel. Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they know that you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus has accomplished his mission, and he ascends to heaven. Jesus prays for us. Why? Why is Jesus so avid in his prayers for us? I think it's a humbling thing. Here he is, about to be led to the cross, right? He's about to be betrayed by his friends. He's about to go through a trial, a monkey court. He's about to be crucified, and yet he prays for you and I because we're left here in this world. Because we're left here in this world. And yet our mission is to manifest his name. So do you see, Jesus manifests the Father, so we manifest Jesus. And that's our mission, the third point of today's sermon. To glorify Jesus by manifesting his name. So often in Christianity, we make things too complicated. We make it too hard. It's really a simple thing. Show forth Jesus Christ in thought, word, and deed, friends. You don't have to have a theological degree. You don't have to wear one of these things as a priest of the church to do that. You don't have to have some kind of advanced education to do that. And yet, we turn it into just about anything else, right? We don't want to actually talk about Jesus. I wish I could say we did, but so often we don't. We'll say things other than talking about Jesus. We'll proclaim the gospel through other things we say, right? So we'll take up justice issues and political stances in the name of the gospel. We'll study ourselves to death in the name of the gospel consuming and consuming theology and doctrine without ever giving any showing of Christ to those around us because of it. We'll go to Bible study after Bible study, read book after book, and yet not talk about Jesus. We'll call that the gospel. We'll perfect our liturgical expression of the gospel, right? We will come and rehearse for high mass 
We will come and do all sorts of things for, for the gospel, we say. And yet, those things, while not bad, are not the gospel. It's true, they give some surrounding context to the gospel, but all of it is for the sake of manifesting Jesus Christ. And if we're not doing that, then why are we here? I like nice music, I like pretty things, but, you know, there's better shows out there, right? There's better singers out there. Lord knows there's better chanters and preachers out there than me. If it was just about that, you could go on YouTube and watch some really great things, you know? Just stay at home and, you know, if you're into preaching, you listen to Tim Keller's podcasts. I mean, he's much better than me. No. We have to manifest Jesus together because that's the mission we've been given by Jesus Christ himself before he left. Those are Jesus' explicit instructions. Notice verse 8, again, jumping back to Acts chapter 1. What does Jesus say? What are his last words? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What does it mean to be a witness? It just means to show forth as good as you can and to try to get better at it, to show forth Christ. We can all do that, can't we? As R. Kent Hughes puts it, the glory of God is seen in the revelation of who he is and what he is. The more the revelation, the more the display of his glory. And so you and I take part in displaying that glory in the power of the Holy Spirit. But so often we get confused and get distracted by the things of this world. We don't listen to St. Paul who says, set your minds on the things that are above, not of the things of this earth. But friends, if we're not manifesting Christ to people, no wonder despair is the theme of our world. No wonder despair, suicide, hopelessness is the theme of our world. Because that's the chronic illness of this world. What good is it, what hope is it to have in this world? You live for a while and then you die, right? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But thankfully, this is not, the, not so for the Christian. Thankfully, this, is, this despairing is not who we're to be. But how can we manifest Jesus if we're not plugged into Jesus and if we're not showing forth the joy and the hope that he gives us? The person that has a chronic illness is not going to be argued out of despair, friends. You might have wonderful arguments about why it is you're a Christian, but if you're not truly manifesting who Jesus is, is that going to help that person? Or the person whose marriage never seems to be pleasant, the person who's stuck in a relationship, is that, you know, is reciting scripture verses to that person going to help that person? 
Well, it might, but not alone, not if you're not showing forth Christ to them. You see, it's not just a mental thing, it's a heart thing. And victims of abuse with emotional scars, people whose hurts are never going to heal this side of heaven. What hope is it to focus on this world for those people? If, in fact, we're setting our minds only in what the faith is here on this earth, only in what God can do for me as I walk in my daily life, we're missing the point because our hope is not here. You know, the mantra of this world is your best life now. Your best life now. Go live it up. Experience things. Go on trips. Drink everything you can. Experience all sorts of glories in this world. But that's not the motto of heaven. The motto of heaven and the kingdom of God is your best life tomorrow. Your best life tomorrow. And in Jesus' words, perhaps most importantly, I go there to prepare a place for you. I go there to prepare a place for you. That is hope giving. That dispels gloom. That is hope for the person who's never going to be done with the chronic illness this side of heaven. That's hope for the person that is gonna battle depression to the end of their days here in this place. That's hope to the person struggling who will struggle till their death. Where are you, friend? Have you idealized your own comfort? Have you put too much stock into this world, thinking that, you know, um, I'll just throw out another example, that the government's going to solve all your problems? You know, we laugh at that. And yet, how many of us rise and fall by what goes on on Facebook, what the Trump administration has done this time around? Boy, isn't that great, we might say, or boy, that's terrible, we might say. It doesn't matter what side of it you're on. If that is what's driving you, how is that manifesting Jesus? How is that manifesting Jesus? You're stuck. Your eyes are fixed on this world. Stop it. Stop it. Fix your eyes on the things above and the fact that Jesus has gone there prepare a place for you. And people have seen it. And so that's the hope that you and I have. As we come to Pentecost next week, we'll celebrate the Holy Spirit coming and equipping the church. This week, pray. Be like the apostles. Be like Mary, the mother of our Lord. Pray as you prepare for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Ask God to show you new insights into what he's doing in your life, in your heart, and into how he's leading you to manifest himself to the world around. Don't just walk through the week and say, oh, well, it's Pentecost, we're gonna wear red today. No, prepare yourself, prepare yourself that you and I might be living sacrifices used by the Holy Spirit to manifest Christ. Can you do that? Will you do that? It's like that leaf. Until the new sap and the new life starts to push away 
the old, the new cannot come. So let's allow the new to come. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.